Welcome to a Slapshot episode of the Russian Rulers podcast. Today's episode, Muscovite Arts and Architecture. I'd like to thank the authors of the book, A History of Russia, in its eighth edition, Nicholas Ryazanovsky and Mark Steinberg, for allowing me to read from their book, because I think it's a very important thing to understand what was going on and how people lived and what was there in Muscovite Russia just before the reign of Peter the Great. In architecture, as well as in literature, and in culture as a whole, no divide rises between the apanage and the Muscovite periods of Russian history. Building in both wood and stone flourished in the 16th and 17th centuries. As described earlier, wooden houses of the boyars and mansions of the rulers, the so-called koromi, were remarkable conglomerations of independent units, which usually lack symmetry compensated for it by the abundance and variety of parts. Outstanding examples of this type of building included the Koromi of the Stroganovs and Solvichedgosk and the summer palace of the Tsars in the village of Kolomonskoy near Moscow. Furthermore, it was especially during the Muscovite age that the principles of Russian wooden architecture with its reliance on small, independent structural units and its favorite geometric forms found a rich expression, also in the stone medium, notably in churches. The Church of St. Basil the Blessed at one end of Red Square, outside the Kremlin Wall, provides the most striking illustration of this wooden type of construction in stone. Built in 1555 to 1560 by two architects from Peskov, Barma and Poznik, it has never ceased to dazzle visitors and to excite the imagination. This church, known originally as the Cathedral of the Intercession of the Virgin, consists in fact of nine separate churches on a common foundation. All nine have the form of tall octagons a narrower octagon on top of a broader one in each case, and the central church around which the other eight are situated is covered by a tent roof. Striking and different cupolas further emphasize the variety and independence of the parts of the church. Bright colors and abundant decorations contribute their share to the powerful, if somewhat bizarre, impression. While the Church of St. Basil the Blessed and its predecessor, the church in the village of Diakovo, that consisted of five churches, seems strange and unsymmetric to Western eyes. They succeed, in the opinion of many specialists, in combining their separate units into one magnificent whole. And the Moscow Kremlin itself, the construction went on, although the most important work had already been done in the reigns of Ivan III and Vasily III. The Golden Gate arose in the first half of the 17th century, and as late as 1670 to 1690, towers in the Kremlin Wall were topped with roofs, usually in the Russian tent style, while within the walls, palaces, and churches continued to grow. In addition to the Kremlin in Moscow, the beautiful Kremlin of, an, of ancient Rostov, built mainly in the 17th century, and parts of Kremlins in a score of other Russian cities have come down to our time. In the second half of the 17th century, the Baroque style reached Moscovy 
through Ukraine and the quickly gained popularity developing into the so-called Muscovite or Narishkin Baroque, the last name referring to the Boyer family which sponsored it. It has been said that the Russians found Baroque especially congenial because of their love of decoration. The church built in 1693 and the village of Fili, now part of Moscow, provides an interesting example of Russian Baroque. The great Russian tradition of icon painting continued until the 16th and 17th centuries, but then was effectively terminated. Two prominent new schools emerged, the Stroganov School and the School of the Tsar's Icon Painters. The first, supported by the great merchant family of the Northeast, was active approximately from 1580 to about 1630. Its characteristics included bright backgrounds, rich colors, elaborate and minute design, and a penchant for decorative elements and gold. For instance, gold contours. In fact, the Stroganov icons tended to become miniatures. Lovely and highly precious objects, if no longer great works of arts, in the words of one critic. Prokopius Chidin, who later joined the Tsar's icon painters, and even became Tsar Michael's favorite artist, was an outstanding member of the Stroganov group. The Tsar's icon painters dominated the scene in the second half of the 17th century. They found patronage in the so-called Orozhnyanina Palata, headed by an able and enlightened boyar, Bogdan Kirtrovo. The Orozhnyanina Palata became early in the 17th or 16th century as an arsenal, but to quote voice, it became successively a technical, scientific, pedagogical, and art institute, and contained shops and studios of icon and portrait painting, gold and silversmith work, keeping at the same time its original purpose, the manufacture of arms. The Tsar's icon painters developed a monumental style and reflected the influence of the West with its knowledge of perspective and autonomy. Anatomy, excuse me. Simon Ushkov, who lived approximately from 1626 to 1686, was the school's celebrated master. We can still admire his successful composition and precise execution in such icons as that of the Christ of the Ruler of the World, painted from the Cathedral of Novodovichy con Convent in Moscow. Although Russian icon painting in the Moscovite period produced notable works, and although its prestige and influence in the entire Orthodox world then reached its height, the school of the Tsar's icon painters marked the end of a long road. Ushakov himself had been praised for his remarkable ability to combine Byzantine and Western elements in his art, and the same can be said more modestly of his companions. Before long, the West swept over the East. Secular painting, including portrait painting, had already become popular in Muscovite Russia. After Peter the Great's reforms, art in Russia, as well as all of Russian culture, joined the Western world. Icon painting, of course, continued to exist, and on a very large scale, but as a craft rather than a highly creative and leading art. Fresco painting and illumination also prospered in Muscovy. In fact, the second half of the 17th century saw a great flowering of fresco painting, which centered in Iroslav 
and spread to other towns in the Volga area. The gigantic scope and the fine quality of the work can best be studied in two churches in Yaroslav. The Church of the Prophet Elijah, painted by Guri Nikitin, Sila Savin and their 13 associates, and that of St. John the Baptist, where Dmitri Gigoriev and 15 other men painted the frescoes. The frescoes in the last-named church, which were created in 1694 to 1695, and contain approximately 4,200 figures, represent the greatest effort of its kind in the world. Illumination also flourished, as evidenced, for example, by the 1,269 miniatures and another 710 spaces, remain blank. Of the first huge volume of a 16th century Russian chronicle of the world, and Muscovite frescoes and miniatures as an icons, Western influences became increasingly apparent. By the end of the 17th century, all ancient Russian graphic art was passed rapidly and replaced by the modern art of the West. It might be added in passing that in many other highly skilled arts and crafts, such as carving, enamel, ceramics, and work with jewelry and precious metals, Muscovite Russia also left a rich legacy. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little uh, slapshot episode of the Russian Rulers podcast. Uh, please come by the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com or become a friend at on Facebook at the Russian Rulers History Podcast. Uh, leave a message, make a suggestion, ask a question, and as always, до свидания, спасибо большое.